Commissioner Ed Harrington? Here. Commissioner Stephen Lee? Here. Vice President Willie Adams is absent today. The San Francisco Port Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatishaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatishaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatishaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Item number two is the approval of minutes for the May 9, 2023 Port Commission meeting. So move. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 The, the, motion, the <laughs> motion passes unanimously. The minutes of the May 9, 2023 meeting are now adopted. Item number three is the Pledge of Allegiance. To the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Item number four is announcements. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones and similar sound-producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. A member of the public has up to three minutes to make public comments on each agenda item unless the Port Commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Public comments must be in respect to the current agenda item. The Commission will take in-person and remote public comments on each item, beginning with commenters in person. For remote public comment, dial 1-415. 655-0001 and enter access code 2593-594-0240, pound, pound. Then dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment on the item being discussed. An audio prompt will signal when it is your turn to speak. If you are watching this meeting on SFGov TV, there is a short broadcasting delay. To not miss your chance to comment, please dial when the item you want to comment on is announced. Mute your device and listen to the meeting from your telephone, which has no delay. Item number five is public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Thank you, Jenica. We will now take public comment on items not listed on the agenda, and I do have speaker cards. Evan McLaughlin. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is my name is Evan McLaughlin. I am with the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, Northern California. Uh, I'm here today. We wanted to provide the commissioners with an update on the ongoing negotiations between uh, the Inland Boatmen's Union and Alcatraz Cruises, um, and to ask the Port Commission for their continued support as we continue to try and get a fair contract here. Um, we've had some significant issues with delays from the company over the past few months. Um, we, I believe the last time we were here, uh, we informed the commission that we had a nearly two-month gap between when the uh, employer told us they were able to sit down and meet for negotiations. Um, that ended up being a gap of 52 days between negotiations. Um, we've had a slight improvement since then, which is that the employer has now agreed to sit down for two days of negotiations per month. 
this is a this is a really big issue for us because uh, we are in touch with workers every day, talking to them about their issues every day, and we hear the same things that they've been dealing with since they contacted us in the first place, where they have schedules that don't allow them to plan their lives. We have some folks who are making as little as 19.50 an hour. If you're in San Francisco, that is really not livable. And we still have attempts to exclude some of the workers, including the captains, from being covered by the union. People are upset about this. And the more that we get into the summer season, the more we have frustrations, and the more we have people saying, hey, we got to take action, we got to do something here. And it's really difficult to tell people, like, hey, we don't want disruptions, we don't want anything to happen. It's hard to tell them that when we're only receiving a couple days of negotiations per month. It's very difficult to get what we need to do done. So again, we're here to give you folks an update. We've got a couple of the folks from Alcatraz Cruises who also wanted to speak about what's been going on. Um, and again, we wanted to ask for the Port Commissioner's continued support. Um, we all have the same interest here. We just want to get a fair contract. We want to, you know, we want to help San Francisco continue along its pandemic recovery. And the only thing that we're asking for Alcatraz Cruises, we're not trying to make them the new gold standard for maritime employers on the San Francisco Bay. The only thing that we are trying to do, and the only thing that these workers have asked for our assistance with, is in helping them to get to the standard that has already been set for the other very successful maritime companies on the Bay. So that's Blue and Gold, Golden Gate Ferries, Red and White Ferries, Tideline, Prop SF. All these folks are operating under the standard that is appropriate and they're very successful. And again, we, we ask for your continued support and thank you for your time today. Thank you. Jack Calvin. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Jack Calvin. Uh, I'm a deckhand at Alcatraz City Cruises. I've been working there for a little bit over a year. Um, as uh, Evan touched on, we have been uh, in this fight to uh, organize a union in our workplace for uh, the better part of two years at this point. Um, since our uh, since we won our election and our uh, union was certified in uh, September October, um, the company's not been uh, meeting. Uh, the company has not been negotiating with us in good faith. Um, like Kevin said, fifty two days between negotiating sessions is just not a realistic pace to um, uh, to come to an agreement on a contract. Um, Something specifically I wanted to touch on was the refusal by the company to uh, recognize um, captains and maintenance supervisors as part of our bargaining unit. Uh, when we went, when we filed for election, the uh, captains and maintenance supervisors' ballots were challenged, and we were instructed by the uh, National Labor Relations Board to uh, sit down and negotiate whether or not they would be uh, included in the bargaining unit. So far, the company's not budged one inch. They've refused to even talk about it. All they've said is no, and in my opinion, um, and the opinion of our union is that that's not negotiating in good faith, uh, whether they should be included. Um, I work with our captains every day on the job. Um, the company claims that they are members of our, our management team, but they have no actual managerial duties. They 
uh, don't make our schedules. They can't hire us. They can't fire us. They don't have any discipline powers. Um, and when I'm working with them on deck, um, they are my coworkers, right? They're not my boss. I listen to their instructions and I follow their direction uh, when we're underway, but they are not, they are not our managers. Um, and our captains were the first ones to reach out to the Inland Boatman's Union uh, for help with this, for help in uh, organizing our union, and they deserve to be recognized as part of that unit. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. Parker, I can't read the last name. Come on up. Hello everyone, uh, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you allowing me to speak. My name is Parker. Um, I work in the maritime operations for Alcatraz Cruises as a deckhand. I've been there for a couple months now, so I'm still relatively new, but I wanted to use this time today to kind of share my experience and, and I hope in doing that, uh, my sharing of my experience will help others. Um, so I took this job a couple months ago mainly because I was trying to save money to go back to college and uh, I'd always enjoyed working on the water, wanted to build some sea time, eventually get my captain's license. And uh, I was experiencing a lot of financial distress before taking this job, so when this opportunity came up, I was thrilled. I thought that my life was going to take this huge positive trajectory and things were going to start to really recover for me. Um, Unfortunately, due to some of the practices, I haven't had that be my experience. Um, the main issue for me is scheduling. Um, that's something I think that other members have spoken about at length, and I just want to reiterate that that can have very real impacts on people's lives. Um, when I was hired, I, I have another job. I work for one of the largest employers in the state of California. I, I'm not going to name who they are now, but I do have another job on the weekends. Uh, when I was hired by Alcatraz Cruises, I made it clear that I have other work responsibilities uh, during the weekend and that I expected to be given a reasonable amount of heads up if I was going to be scheduled in a conflicting uh, time period. They never objected to that and that was never an issue. However, that has not happened. Consistently, these schedules come out very late, often within 24 to 48 hours. Um, I've had to disrupt the operations of my other employer by not being able to show up to their shifts as I have to show up to my Alcatraz shifts. Um, the company does expect us to have 24-7 availability. Doesn't mean we have to work every hour during that 24-7 period, but we have to be available for shifts. While at the same time, uh, that demand is pretty hefty, yet we're not given very uh, respectful scheduling in my opinion. I don't think there's a degree of consistency or predictability that would allow us to have lives outside of work. Um, you can't have a work-life balance when you don't know when your work is going to be. It just takes away the rest of your life. Um, so to kind of touch on my own personal experience, I recently had my hours cut basically from consistently over 30 a week to nothing and there was no communication as to why that was. Um, it was a big impact on me. I at first thought that I had done something wrong and that I was going to be terminated, uh, but that was not the case. I reached out later when financial situations got very tight and I asked if I'd been laid off or furloughed. Was not given an answer about that. Eventually I was told that my hours being reduced to nothing were because I did not have 24-7 availability. Um, that was not something that was established when I was uh, hired, and yet that was a reason that my financial well-being was consistently uh, brought down. So it's been a it's been a big challenge for me. I have to now most likely leave the area. Um, 
I really wanted this to work, and I, I love the San Francisco Bay. I love living here, and I love my time working at Alcatraz Cruises. But unfortunately, without regular scheduling and with my hours being reduced like that, thank you. I can't afford to live here. Thank you very much. Appreciate your comments. Is there any other public comment regarding items not listed on the agenda? Seeing none, Corey, do we have any callers on the line? Um, at this time, there's no one on the phone wishing to make any public comment. Thank you. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Jenica, next item, please. Item 6A is the executive director's report. For Good callers. Afternoon. Sorry. For callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Thank you. Good afternoon, President Brandon, members of the commission, members of staff and public. I am Elaine Forbes, the port's executive director. I'd like to start with economic recovery. First, I have some good news to share about our financial footing. We've embarked on an economic recovery initiative, as you know, and as part of that, I'm sharing the most updated ex uh, information I have about how we're doing. And I have some good news. While we're not in the woods, we are rebounding faster than we thought on our revenues. And we have reached some pre-pandemic revenues uh, in some of our very key business lines. So I'm very excited uh, to report that. I think we have some serious tailwinds at the waterfront, which include the cruise, uh, calls, real tenant successes, lots of visitor returns, that we're providing a clean and safe experience is mattering. It really appears that our waterfront is a big draw and will continue to be so. So we're very excited about this success. And with that, I would like to introduce our economic recovery manager, Megan Wallace. She's going to give the Port Commission an overview about how she developed the plan and some next steps. To you, Megan. <clears throat> Thank you, Director Forbes. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Since my last update to you in December, um, I have been working with port leadership, staff, and our business partners to develop and refine um, the port's economic recovery and growth plan. And this is um, an implementation plan for our economic goals in the strategic plan. So this afternoon, I'm going to share an update on how the plan has been developed, as well as some details in the plan, along with um, how we're going to allocate resources to get our work done. So before I get too far, I want to be um, clear that the economic and recovery um, and growth uh, goals are actually one pillar um, of our work as a port. Um, really, um, Director Forbes, port leadership, I think as an organization, we do feel strongly that we will only be successful in our stabilization of the port's financial future if we do integrate our work um, with our equity goal, which reflects our values, as well as our resilience goal, which represents our long game for addressing seismic risks and sea level rise along the waterfront. So. This report that I'm giving you today, just keep in mind that um, it has been developed, um, really thinking about this as being one of three main pillars in our work. So first, in thinking about developing an execution plan for our economic recovery and growth goals, um, I want to highlight a general mission statement that um, recognizing there is a great body of work that has already been accomplished at the port, including creating a, st an, a strategic plan. 
I wanted to use existing documents um, to develop and implement the initiatives that both address the immediate economic needs of our waterfront and look to the long-term financial stability and sustainability of the port. Um, in the planning, uh, there always need to be stages in work, uh, really trying to focus efforts. And we really started with developing and refining the growth plan. So looking at our economic uh, goals um, and making sure that um, I was pulling in other planning documents and other information um, to really develop um, economic recovery actions. And then, of course, thinking about how are we going to support that work, allocation of resources. Um, so as I'll show in a moment, that's been the body of work that has been underway um, over the last several months. But of course, the ongoing execution and iteration is, is in the forecast, um, as well as building in monitoring and reporting, making sure that we're being accountable internally to ourselves as staff, to you as the commission, as well as to the public and our partners. So when it um, comes to being in, developing a plan, I definitely did not go it alone. Um, this has been um, integrated work with partners in each of the divisions. Um, I think everybody is represented here. I do want to highlight that there has been exceptionally strong leadership with our director. Thank you, Director Forbes, uh, for your guidance on this work. Um, but also within, uh, throughout the ranks of the port, gathering ideas, um, pulling together um, priorities and understanding where we might pull levers um, to really um, make some progress as an organization. But then also looking externally, talking with the Fisherman's Wharf CBD, uh, who, as you know, we've been partnering with uh, recently, um, but also, um, you know, thinking about uh, uh, tourism trends, or talking with SF Travel, really trying to have boots on the ground, talking to people outside of the port to understand the economic environment around us uh, and what tools they might recommend we utilize. I mentioned not wanting to start from scratch. Um, I've listed some guiding documents here. The strategic plan is document number one, um, but definitely looking at proposals that staff had proposed um, uh, last summer um, uh, with ideas for economic recovery initiatives, the capital improvement program, the waterfront plan, really looking at those existing resources to help make a complete picture. Um, and then our funding sources. Um, as you'll see in future slides, um, there are a variety of sources that are being uh, taken into account when it comes to moving our strategic goals forward. Um, so in terms of the timeline, I mentioned develop and refine. So in the yellow bar, you can see that this really started in November when I first came on board with the port. I do see it continuing into August. So really um, building from the internal work and collaboration for developing initiatives, um, having, uh, you know, and refining those initiatives, really landing on some wonderful ideas to move forward. Of course, we're here today for our Port Commission update, but then this summer uh, we'll be meeting with the advisory committees and really trying to inform people but create a feedback loop for input as well. And uh, the developing and refining is in parallel with the allocation of resources. Um, an important step in all of this is actually sharing um, an, an expenditure plan for the $10 million of economic recovery funding um, that was included in the fiscal year 2021-22 budget. It's currently on board reserve. 
So I mentioned earlier that uh, the Economic Recovery and Growth Plan is an implementation plan for our uh, strategic plan goals. So again, the recovery goal, which is really focused on that near-term uh, activation of the waterfront, um, really uh, thinking about that quick recovery from the pandemic, to the economic growth of the port, really thinking about that long-term financial future that we've always been thinking about pre-pandemic, just recognizing that expenditures grow um, at a faster pace um, over time than our revenues. Um, and so what are we doing about uh, recovering and growing? That's where our objectives come in. Um, and I like to, there are a lot of objectives associated with both the recovery and the growth goals. So I think it's helpful to think of them in three buckets of administrative, really thinking what are we internally doing to improve our operations, um, activation and business development. A lot of this is, you know, that, that near-term recovery work. Um, as well as uh, growing our maritime and real estate portfolios, um, and then public-private partnerships, leveraging other people's money, our business uh, partners, um, to create new neighborhoods and revitalize our historic peers. So I'm going to try to go through these fairly quickly, but basically what I just did is give you a background on how we developed the plan. I'm going to share some details within the plan. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow these three categories of um, administrative, activation, business development, and public-private partnerships. So under the administrative category for recovery, we're really looking at three main areas, lease administration, enterprise economic recovery, and then management of our resources and projects. Um, and under lease administration, this isn't news for you all, actually. Staff have come with you, come to you with proposals uh, for ways to either bring uh, current tenants into compliance, so trying to uh, reach settlement options so that we're moving them out of the delinquent category into the up and running and doing well, um, as well as the incentives category, so thinking about um, using that tenant improvement fund to improve facilities and uh, attract new tenants. Um, but this is really an internal administrative tool um, that we're using. For our enterprise economic recovery, we're really looking at attracting external funds, so not only uh, the relying on federal stimulus dollars to move our work forward, but actually going after additional grants. So we have a grant application out for CalSTA. We see some others in the pipeline. So we're trying to make sure we're organized around effectively going after those funds. Technology is not one of those things that um, you necessarily think about for recovery, but really how these systems operate translate into how effective staff is in our day-to-day -day jobs. Um, and then operating efficiencies and staffing. These are other things that we're exploring, trying to just make it easier both to work for and with the port. And then resource and project management. Really wanting to track hiring positions to manage this work, such as myself, um, such as a new business generation manager, and also uh, employee, um, internal employee-facing positions, such as a new employee ombudsman. These are things that are going to help us drive this work forward and support staff um, as, we're, as we're recovering. And then, of course, reporting, really thinking about that accountability. What's the sequencing of me coming to you and giving updates, but also meeting with staff? Um, Director Forbes has been adamant that she wants to have internal stakeholder engagement as well, making sure we have strong feedback loops internally, because really, 
our staff knows so much and they provide so much critical feedback and we want to carry that forward not just for this last six months but moving forward in this process um, activation and business development I think is maybe the one that everybody thinks about when they're thinking about economic recovery particularly tenant recovery and activation these are things that we've been talking a lot about in terms of like restaurant and retail pop-ups I know that's going on downtown we want to do some of that here along the port property for parks and open space how do we make it easier to find your way once you're down here a waterfront walk thinking about creating more of an attraction along with art and other beautification to make people think of this as a destination. Um, and then of course the Fisherman's Wharf uh, grant working on uh, pop-ups, uh, safety, other cleaning. And then for the property portfolio, um, this is where we're actually looking at the tenant improvement funding as being really critical. We're looking at these vacant spaces and trying to identify the best ways to invest federal stimulus dollars to prepare those facilities uh, to be ready for new tenants. And then for maritime, there are four major categories of commercial fishing, the Pier 70 fish, uh, shipyard, cruise, and then our maritime terminal in the southern waterfront. Um, and this is actually, I, I want to highlight some of these things because um, actually the color coding really plays a role here. Um, that everything in yellow is representing investments that we're proposing with the 10 million economic recovery funding. Um, if it's in blue, that's really representing federal stimulus or other grant dollars. Green is more of a pub public private partnership. Um, and then if it's in black, that actually is an operating expense um, that we're already carrying. So um, as you can see here, particularly for activation and business development, there's a real combination of these different funding sources that together can move all of these strategies forward. And then finally, public-private partnerships. Um, I felt a little bit <laughs> um, uncertain about this slide because that's a small table representing some very, very large important projects for the port. Um, so just really, um, but don't wanna leave it unshared in terms of the importance of moving these long-term um, improvements both to our historic facilities and creating uh, new neighborhoods along the port that's really um, gonna frame the future of the port and our financial position, anticipating long-term revenue. Um, as well as the future um, of the city, just creating new housing, preparing for sea level rise, um, and other economic benefits. So I just wanted to highlight some of the key outcomes. I've been describing um, the objectives and the what are we doing, but in terms of what do we want to get out of it, what are those intended outcomes, really just want to highlight how each of these categories fit in. The administrative thinking we want to improve the port's balance sheet you know, when it comes to leases, attracting and retaining tenants. That's where that lease um, work really comes to play. Um, those internal operating efficiencies I talked about, wanting to make it easier to work for and with the port. Um, you know, really thinking how can we make it a wonderful place to work by making it easier to do our jobs with good technology systems, uh, for example. And then of course with activation and business development, um, we just know that by generating activity on the waterfront, 
building our maritime complex in the southern waterfront, um, including crews um, and thinking about shoreside power um, and offshore wind. These are all critical components to that, to that growth. Um, and then when it comes to the public-private partnerships, uh, um, you know, building those resilient communities um, and protecting our historic facilities. Um, before I wrap up, I, I want to make sure I'm very clear about um, the allocation of resources from the 10 million of economic recovery funds. So as I mentioned, these funds were budgeted in fiscal year 2021-22, but the Board of Supervisors put them on reserve because we didn't have a detailed expenditure plan for those funds. Um, so I've had the benefit of being able to develop that expenditure plan. Um, and every of the every item listed here represents components of our strategic goals and objectives um, that have not yet been funded or don't have a clear funding source um, coming its way. Um, and so things that may not be as exciting or easy to argue need funding, like an 811 utility mapping project, but we'd better do it. Um, that's going to help reduce the risk for the port, make it easier for staff to do their jobs so they can also shift and focus on other priorities, all the way to looking at maritime, thinking about an ice machine, um, improved facilities uh, that make, make fishers want to stay in San Francisco rather than going to other ports. Um, these are all things that historically may not have had clear returns on investment, but actually do have a positive economic benefit to the port by making it easier to work with us, um, making it, including our fishers, all the way from internal staff to fishers who are in our ports. So main takeaways. We have an economic recovery and growth plan. This is a, an implementation plan. We're tracking all of our steps, understanding, you know, working to understand where there are pitfalls and delivering uh, various actions. Um, but also working to make sure that funds are in place to drive our work forward. Um, we also have an expenditure plan for this $10 million of economic recovery funds. Um, and I think if there were any major takeaways also in terms of what we're trying to deliver, I want to highlight that we're working to improve our internal processes, again, make it easier to work for and with the port. Uh, we're doing a lot of active work in Fisherman's Wharf trying to improve a visitor experience, bring tenants back, because from what we've examined, that's where we still have the biggest hole in our revenue streams is in Fisherman's Wharf. Um, and then really working to leverage external funding to drive our big initiatives, particularly in, in, our, in our maritime work in the southern waterfront. Um, and I think that's our near-term focus on external funding, but also just thinking about um, that long-term forecast recognizing that we need to improve our operating revenues and having them grow steadily over time so that we don't get caught um, having a, a budget shortfall. Um, thank you for this time, giving you an update. We are looking to go, go to the Board of Supervisors in September. Um, and with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Director Forbes. Thank you, Megan. I really appreciate that update. And it's very rewarding for us to bring our plan together and make it actionable and see how to allocate resources as we track through the various initiatives. Several of these work efforts we've known needed to be done, and it was a matter of finding the resources and the time to do them. Uh, so this really 
uh, gives it gives us more prioritization and um, push on the key initiatives that will help us stabilize our balance sheet and have a good financial future. Um, also, the pivots that we need to make to the COVID environment are nestled in here uh, around how to retain in our facilities, whether that's through pop-ups, whether that's through releasing or both. Uh, there's a lot of on-the-ground work here that will happen uh, as we see what our longer-term COVID impacts are to our enterprise and how best to respond. So thank you so much, Megan, for that presentation, and we're really glad to have a leader organizing this work across divisions. Now I'm going to turn to equity. This last weekend, the port hit a very important milestone in our equity work. This was our third Juneteenth on the waterfront event, and this one was really better than ever. The event featured black-owned businesses from the neighborhoods and drew really big crowds uh, from residents throughout the city. Businesses were sold out, and crowd, crowd favorites like oxtails and gumbo were sold out very, very early. Mayor London Breed and Commissioner Gilman joined thousands of people for the Juneteenth event. FoodWise sponsored with partnership of the Port, Hudson Properties, Ferry Building, and with funding through the DreamKeepers Initiative. It was a wonderful, wonderful gathering. Our mayor was there for nearly four hours. Uh, she interacted with and bought from nearly every vendor and then toured the ferry building. You may have read or listened to all the amazing press that came uh, before the event. Uh, we were featured in several outlets and I wanna thank our communications team for the great work in getting us out there and getting the work, uh, getting the event uh, known to the public. As always, our team made sure the waterfront sparkled. I want to thank our maintenance division, and I always, I also want to thank all the port staff who tabled the event. Thank you. And finally, to you, Com uh, President Kimberly Brandon, uh, for your very early leadership on the concept and the direction for us to just get it done, uh, which we did, and we're very pleased with how it's going. It was a very proud day for the port. And finally, one more person to thank, which is Tony Autry. She had exceptional leadership, and she did a lot of adept work, uh, administrative work with permitting and contracting, et cetera. So thank you, Tony. Uh, now to our resilience news, uh, more exciting uh, report on the resilience efforts. As you know, we've been working very closely with the Army Corps of Engineers and our sister agencies that have infrastructure impacted by the need uh, for flood protection here at the waterfront. In February, and again in early June, members of the Army Corps of Engineers joined our waterfront team in person for a week of in-depth conversation and analysis. In April, our team hosted City Champions, uh, which was representative from our partner city agencies, and they've been collaborating very closely with us in the Army Corps. These sessions are important. This ongoing collaboration is critical for a successful plan and project for flood protection and seismic protection. I'm really pleased everyone's doing this work in person because it's very complex and appreciate the Ar Army Corps of Engineers for coming to San Francisco. We're hoping to have uh, reach a plan for public review by the end of the year. As you know, we're starting to see results from the analysis as it relates to uh, federal interest. And we're looking at how this will impact our draft adaptation strategies. We'll use these results as well as public feedback we've received to help us build the plan. And we'll be sharing the results with you early this summer. It's a very big time for the development uh, from all the analysis to a plan. We look forward to more.
uh, to key projects. I'm turning to the Southern Waterfront with update on Pier 94 trailer sites. As you know, we have an MOU with the Human Services Agency for operation for a temporary shelter at the industrial working area of the port at Pier 94. It expired February 28, 2023, uh, with Mayor Breed's lifting of the emergency declaration. The Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing has continued to use the site. However, we don't have an active agreement for their use of the site. So I will be entering into a month-to-month -month MOU with HSH uh, for the continued use of the, of the site as they continue to wind down and uh, prepare their demobilization plan. We're very proud to have been a, a real big uh, part of the effort to house unsheltered people during the pandemic. And we offer our full support of HSH in the wind down to get people housed and into a healthier and safer environment. Now I'd like to give you an update on the shipyard repurposing. In October of 2020, our maritime staff gave you an informational presentation on the shipyard and how we would reposition the shipyard after we lost ship repair. Part of the discussion was the many, many vast inventory of abandoned ship repair assets, including two large dry docks. And in late 2022, the port staff began efforts to prepare a competitive solicitation for disposal of dry dock number two and dry dock Eureka. I'm happy to say that as of Tuesday, June 6th, the request for offer for purchase for the two assets have gone live. The port is currently offering them for sale to the public. The minimum bid price is $2.5 million, and it requires the bidders to remove both dry docks from the port. The details of the RFO are on our website, and we hope to report a successful bid and agreement. I want to say thank you to the Maritime Division, the city attorney's office, and the Office of Contract Administration for this good work. And commissioners, consistent with the write-off policy adopted pursuant to Resolution 2211, port staff have given you a report summarizing one recommended write-off on May 8 to ASN Stone in the amount of $57,674. You have 30 days from this day to review. If you have any concerns, let me know and we'll schedule it for a hearing. Now, um, I'd like to thank you, commissioners, as always, for your dedication to our waterfront. And I would like you to help me in honoring three individuals who have made a major stamp. First, to someone who's not here today, just to let you know in advance, um, our ports uh, staff's sustainability leader, Carol Bach, uh, she will be retiring at the end of June. Uh, she had a conflict today and wants a low-key exit. Carol has been with us since 1995, set 27 years. She has served in many positions. She was the project manager, regulatory specialist and manager, assistant deputy director of planning and environment. Carol is the reason for Heron's Head Park, including advancing equity and resilience through partnerships with community, regional CBOs, city and regional agencies. She also managed the site investigation and preparation of Pier 70 remedial action plan and risk management plan that was funded through a federal grant. Without this work, we would not have the Pier 70 historic core or Crane Cove Park or the future waterfront site. Carol was also a critical member to the waterfront land use plan. She led all the sustainability work and the subcommittee drafting the policies. She's been a tremendous person to the port. She explains very complex science issues in a way we can all understand. We will miss her expertise, positivity, endless hard work, and good personhood. 
uh, we wish her a good, good, uh, good, a good next part of her life and excellent retirement. Uh, now we have two dedicated CAC partners that will be stepping down from their position. Following in the decades of service, I'd like to um, honor Marsha Madam. She served on the Waterfront Advisory Committee from 2006 to today, nearly two decades, as, a his, as an architect with historic preservation expertise. And she's on the line joining us now. She's provided outstanding wisdom and guidance to support projects, including the cruise ship terminal, the Broadway Hotel, the Exploratorium, the Rincon Park restaurants, the downtown ferry terminal expansion, and many other projects that have shaped our waterfront. Staff says her contributions were always extremely insightful and recognized the importance of historic resources within our national registered district and made certain projects were respectful of the historic fabric. Marcia, we're so grateful for your contributions. And then to Roscoe Maps, who I believe is here today. Roscoe, who has served on the Central Waterfront Advisory Group since 2019, um, which was renamed and reconfigured to the Southern Advisory Group that same year. He served as a representative for the San Francisco Giants and Mission Rock Partners. For most of the last decade, Roscoe actively participated in the meetings as the government relations officer for the Giants and has built relationships with staff, South Beach, and Mission Bay representatives, and has shared goals. He's aligned shared goals with operating ball games, concerts, and special events as a good neighbor. Upon SAC reorganization, um, Roscoe actively engaged with members, bringing former SWAC and CWAG together and brought new perspectives to the committee. He's also worked closely with us on the transformation of Seawall Lot 337 to the new neighborhood we see rising today. Fortunately, you'll continue to work with us in your new capacity with the San Francisco Giants and will remain a, a valued stakeholder, Roscoe. So for their service, I'm honored to provide a parting gift. Um, but Roscoe's the only one accepting it in person today. Thank you. That concludes my report. Thank you, Elaine. Great report. We will now open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment on any items discussed? Dan? If I may, Commissioner Brand President Brandon and members of the Commission, Dan Hodap with the Planning and Environment Division, and I congratulate and thank both Marsha and Roscoe for their service. And I want to make a few remarks about Marsha because I've served and worked with her for the entire time she's been on the Waterfront Design Advisory Committee. And I, <clears throat> excuse me, I've so enjoyed working with Marsha on the Waterfront Design Advisory Committee, also known as the WDAC, and all the insight she has brought to so many projects, which Director Forbes mentioned a few of them, and there's just way too many to mention altogether. For context, the committee's process is similar to the commission. There's listening to the applicant's presentation, listening to public comments, and then the committee makes comments on that on those uh, what they've heard. When it was Marsha's turn to speak, the room would go silent. People waited and listened to her every word. Her known knowledge of architecture, architecture, historic rehabilitation, and urban design was extensive and respected. Her skill in explaining complex issues in a manner that everyone could understand and appreciate was also amazing. And more often than not, she left everyone agreeing that, yes, I will have a better project with this guidance. 
So thank you, Marcia, for guiding the port to be more attractive, more efficiently functioning, and overall a better place. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Dan. Is there any other public comment? Good afternoon, Commissioners, President Brandon, David Bopre with uh, Deputy Director of Planning and Environment. I, too, wanted to thank both Marsha and Roscoe, and also, obviously, Carol, who I'll miss tremendously. Uh, I wanted to say a few words about Roscoe, because I've worked with him a long time as well. Um, when we were reviewing his time sitting on the SAC and CWAG, I couldn't believe that it had only been four years that he served, four probably long years for him, but I realized that he'd actually been with us a lot longer. He participated prior to becoming a member actively as a part of the Mission Rock and Giants team, coming to many SWAC and CWAG meetings, and I've always enjoyed his um, partnership with us and input. As Elaine mentioned, during the transition between bringing the CWAG and the SWAC together, uh, Roscoe played a key role in bringing those two communities together, bringing a new perspective for them, and uh, helping that uh, SAC kind of gel as a group. So thank you very much, Roscoe. We appreciate your dedication. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other public comment in the room? Roscoe? Good afternoon, President Brandon, Commission, uh, Director Forbes, Port Staff. Um, uh, thank you. Um, the port is a very special place, um, and this type of recognition is one of the reasons why. Um, it has been so much fun and an honor to work with you all and the community. Um, whether it's CWAG or SAC, um, around Giant's work or Mission Rock. Um, the community welcomed me in just like port staff as if I had been working on Mission Rock forever. And um, the community helped me get up to speed. The community shared with me um, what their concerns were, what they were excited about. Um, and um, it's just been fantastic experience working with you all. I will miss it very much, and I just really appreciate this this recognition. It's completely unexpected, so thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Roscoe. Is there any other public comment in the room? Seeing none, Corey, do we have anyone on the phone? Yes, actually we have one person on the line, and I will open it up right now. Line is open. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Catherine Moore, and as a fellow member of the Waterfront Advisory Committee, serving with Marsha since 2005, I want to join those today who spoke today in appreciation of prolonged years of public service. Practice was purpose. Best exemplifies what Martha brought to the WDAC over the many years. Citizens Architect, an AIA term calling on architects to be of public service, best describes what Marsha has done for the waterfront. And it's not only Marsha's professional accomplishment and her depth of experience that Dan touched on that guided thoughtful deliberations of the WDAC, but it is also her ability to stay open to different points of view and still find common ground. 
I want to thank Marsha for those years. Marsha, you have touched, moved, and inspired many of us, and you have practiced this purpose. And I want to thank you for being a friend and colleague. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other callers? At this time, there's nobody else on the <coughs> phone. Thank you, Corey. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman. Um, well, first of all, I want to thank um, Roscoe and Marcia for your service and time with us. I actually think many people on um, the CWAG and the advisory committees actually work much harder and um, do more, much more tactical work than we as commissioners actually do. So I wanted to thank you for your service and your dedication. Um, Megan, I wanted to thank you for your economic development report. And I sort of wanted to just sort of highlight and lift up one aspect of it that you touched on, um, which I know is a little bit of my soapbox, but it's around wayfaring and signage. We have so many events happening this month, kicking off summer. Um, whether it be the North Beach Festival, which is taking place um, this weekend with tens of thousands of people coming to North Beach. How incredible would it be this time next year if we have signage highlighting the waterfront so that those visitors can, can come to the waterfront and have that experience. Or Happy Pride Month, which um, Director Forbes um, I know meant to mention. Um, and we have the parade on June 25th with hundreds of thousands of people coming to San Francisco to uplift and celebrate our LGBT plus brothers and sisters in our community. I would love to see activities along the waterfront. I know the ferry building um, is highlighting some, but ways for folks to enjoy our great city. So I do think as we think of economic recovery, we really need to think about how we get people to the waterfront and then folks who are coming from crews or coming for the waterfront how we get them into our historic neighborhoods of San Francisco, whether that be Dog Patch, the Castro, or North Beach. So I really do want to highlight the importance um, of that. And then my only last comment, which is not about the director's report, but I do think is really important, um, is to, once again, at least for me as a commissioner, reiterate my support of the Inland Boat Union and their unionization efforts with Alcatraz Tours. I say this because it was stated that um, the minimum wage, while it's above California State, that folks are making is $19.50. And I want to highlight that individuals making that wage actually make too little to move into the affordable housing that the Giants produced, the first project to ever have 60% um, affordable um, on their site. But they are considered extremely low income from a housing perspective for the state of California. So those individuals would need a rental subsidy to afford a unit targeting working class folks at 60% of area medium income. And I say that because wage compression um, is not a way to have a business model as highlighted. And having schedules where individuals can't juggle multiple jobs if they need to um, devastates our economy. So again, I want to express my disappointment in Alcatraz Cruises for not bargaining in good faith. And hopefully we can lift up the wages of those workers so they can afford to stay in San Francisco. That concludes my comments. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, President Brenton. Um, first of all, thank you, Commissioner Gilman. I want to associate myself with those comments. I appreciate those very much. Um, uh, thank you to Carol, Marcia, Roscoe for all the work. I, I wish I had known you better, <laughs> but I'm fairly new here. Um, 
next year, Juneteenth, I have to plan better. I came across so fast, I figured it would be next weekend. But anyway, thank you for doing Juneteenth. It was great. Um, I have a few questions on the uh, strategic plan that, that you had, Megan. The, I guess the first is a comment. Um, often when you see these things, you say, oh, we're going to do all these wonderful things. So I was very happy to see you actually had listed strategic outcomes and that you're going to be doing metrics. I'd lo mm -hmm. love to see those metrics when they get them together, yeah. qualitative <clears throat> and quantitative, I'm assuming. So that would be great to do. Yes. Uh, you mentioned a tenant improvement fund, and I don't know what that is. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, so the port has allocated, and I correct me, $8 million for the Tenant Improvement Fund um, using federal stimulus dollars. Um, and the idea is that the port will either use those funds to improve facilities to ready them for future tenants, or we now actually have authority that went through the Board of Supervisors um, to be able to give tenants the funds so that they can actually complete the improvements themselves. So it's really a way to lower barriers trying to expedite the process of bringing in new tenants. That's, that's cool. The eight million altogether, how much is left or how much has been spent? Um, well, we received about just under 50 million. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm getting my 117 million of federal stimulus right. funds overall. Um, and so in terms of uh, a portion of those funds that have been, they have been allocated out to capital projects supporting the operating budget. Right. So uh, None really of the eight million dollars has been spent. None of the, all. It's all in the bank. The eight million dollars oh, for okay. tenant improvement. I apologize. I was thinking that's, about the wrong angle I, I of that question. I knew there was a larger picture, yes. but yeah. Yes. Okay. So we great. have not uh, utilized the funds. Yet. And is the, is the goal to start spending it in the next year or two, or to come back to us, or how, how does that start to get used? I can speak a little bit to that. Yeah, uh, so the real estate team right now we have two uh, brokered uh, RFP uh, responses out on two facilities, and so staff will be looking at what comes through, and we'll be doing a competitive process through the broker and looking at which facilities we think uh, are most primed for these economic for these stimulus dollars so as Megan showed we have a lot of facilities that either are vacant they're vacant or not operating vacant within our control or soon to be in our control some of them need a, a great deal of work so we're in the assessment period um, and then staff will be coming with each transaction and opportunity with a partner to say, this now commission we would recommend for these dollars. And we'll keep you posted as we go through it on the whole portfolio look as well so you can continue to get a sense of how best to target the funds. That's great. Do we think a chunk of it will be spent on Fisherman's Wharf restaurant facilities? Yes, I would suspect so, yes. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Commissioner Lee. Well, um, the report is very encouraging. And, you know, Megan, you know, this such a detailed thing. And I'm just worried now with everybody leaving that you have enough staff to follow through, especially I'm very interested in the tenant recovery and the property portfolios and also um, suggesting there's a lot of people that want to do maritime um, events to the public to uh, bring in more revenue. Um, you know, what was not merely mentioned is about parking. You know, uh, when we did our walkthrough in the wharf, I see that there's some spaces that are, you know, f fenced off or not used. And, you know, possibly another way of generating income is maybe having uh, discount parking for electric vehicles. Maybe families that come from out outside the city, 
that want to come in and, and park their cars, set up at Pier 39 or whatever, uh, they could use some of our empty spaces and park their EV cars. And that helps the environment and also um, brings more traffic to uh, the wharf and the waterfront and wherever we have space. You know, I truly believe that when it sits empty, you know, nobody's making any money and it costs us more to maintain an empty space. So I'm very excited about helping you wherever I can and, and Kim, you know, and the um, real estate part to see what we can do to fill spaces. Um, when I was looking at the documents, I mean, I was, I was last night, I'm just amazed at the amount of detail that the port staff goes through that makes our job a lot easier. And I, I just, and then with all these people leaving, I'm thinking, wow, who's going to replace them? Mm -hmm. And I hope, I hope we get other talented people who love public service as we do uh, to be back on port because that's why we're here, I think. Mm -hmm. So, so good job. Uh, look forward to the future. And also the tenant improvement is a great incentive for new operators who can't really afford the uh, upfront yeah. cost. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Lee and Madam President. If I could interrupt, I misspoke. The tenant improvement budget is $10 million. Better. Yes, better. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Elaine and Megan, thank you so much for your reports. Um, as usual, there's a lot going on on the, on the waterfront, and I'm so happy to hear that in certain areas we're, we're, at pre, we're back at pre-pandemic levels as far as revenue and, and tourists and everyone visiting the waterfront, and I think that's absolutely phenomenal. And I really want to congratulate everything, everyone on um, the Juneteenth festival here at, or, or uh, pop-up here at the Ferry Building. I, too, have to do better scheduling because I, I was out of town this weekend and couldn't attend, but I'm so happy it was well attended and that everybody sold out. I, I think that's great. Um, really want to thank Tony Autry for all of her work that she's put into that and the entire port team that worked on that. Um, I really, I'm really going to miss Carol. Carol has just been such a wonderful uh, person to work with over these years. I think she may be the only person that's still here when I started. <laughs> so uh, uh, Carol was working on Heron's Head Park when I first joined the commission, and that was a big deal. And, and she has just done so much for the port and especially the southern waterfront over the last 27 years. So we're really going to miss her and really appreciate all that she's done to contribute to our waterfront. And really want to thank Marsha and Roscoe for their participations on our CACs. I mean, their input is so invaluable and really helps us to make decisions and really helps us with decisions being made for the Port of San Francisco. And we just really appreciate all the time and guidance that they've given our staff and the commission over the years. So Roscoe, thank you in person. And Marcia, thank you so much. Um, regarding economic recovery and growth plan, I think this is a great report and, I, and I'm glad that we have a plan. I just want to make sure that our plan is port-wide. And when I look at our partners, I don't feel that. I feel that our partners are focused more on the southern, on the northern waterfront. And I, I would think that we would like to activate the entire waterfront and, and spend resources doing that. I mean, we have Crane Cove Park. 
we should engage the YMCA, we have Mission Rock, we have we should engage the Giants. We we have property all along the waterfront that needs to be activated and paid attention to because our our our, our economic recovery is is based on our entire waterfront. We know that Fisherman's Wharf needs a lot of help, and we know that we're going to have to do a lot of investment in Fisherman's Wharf, but at the same time as we're planning, I do hope that we're looking at the entire waterfront. But thank you so much. This is great. I really appreciate it. Jenica, next if, item. If the commission okay. would, would do one last thing, if we could bring Roscoe up. I have oh. a very nice... Um, very heavy um, paperweight <laughs> of the ferry building for you, Roscoe. And we could take you could uh, we could present that with a photo of the commission. Jenica, next item, please. Item seven is the consent calendar. For callers who wish to make public comment on the consent calendar, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Item seven A requests authorization for the port to enter into a memorandum of agreement for a temporary maintenance and operating agreement with the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure for Mission Bay Parks P19, 21, 22, 23, and 24, beginning July 1st, 2023, for a term not to exceed six months. The port will be reimbursed up to $510,028 for costs associated with the maintenance and operations from OCII using the Community Facilities District Number 5 proceeds. That is Resolution 2325. Item 7B requests approval of the port's 10-year capital plan, fiscal years 2024 to 2033. That is Resolution 2326. Item 7C requests approval to award a sole source grant to the Fisherman's Wharf Association of San Francisco, also known as the Fisherman's Wharf Community Benefits District, and waive port license fees and the prohibition of sugar sweetened beverages. That is Resolution 2327. Item 7D requests approval of strategies to address food and beverage and retail vacancies, including adopting new broker policy adopting criteria for competitive leasing or licensing for new food and beverage and retail attraction vacancies, and adopting participation rates and rent abatement terms for short-term activations of such sites while the competitive leasing process is underway. That is Resolution 2328 and 2329. 
and item 7E requests retroactive authorization to modify construction contract number 2843, Pier 70 Shipyard Grading and Abatement to extend the substantial completion date. That is res resolution 2330. Thank you. Commissioners, can I have a motion? So move. Second. We will now take public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Corey, is there anyone on the phone? At this time, there is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you, Corey. Public comment is closed. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any Aye. opposed? Resolutions. 23, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30 are adopted. Jenica, next item, please. Item 8A requests approval to issue a request for proposal for underground utility location and marking services. That is resolution 2331. And for callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Um, good afternoon, Commissioners, President Brandon and Director Forbes. Um, my name is Paul Chazen, and I'm a uh, project manager in the engineering division. I'm happy to be presenting to you today. Um, I'm going to be doing the presentation, but I'm joined by my colleague Elizabeth Alexander Tut and my, the head of engineering, Rod Rashida, who can also help answer any questions that you have about this program. Um, so today we're going to be presenting to you um, the our nascent sort of underground utility locating and mapping program. Um, the action you're being asked to take today is to authorize staff to issue an RFP um, to onboard a consultant who will help support this program. And we're proposing an initial contract of a quarter million dollars over four years with one optional year to extend if funds allow, so roughly $50,000 a year. Um, this program um, aligns with goals outlined in the Port Strategic Plan around um, productivity, equity, and resiliency. Um, some context. Um, so the port um, owns all sorts of various underground utilities throughout the seven and a half mile waterfront. Um, you know, and we are actually legally under California state law obligated to locate and mark these utilities prior to adjacent construction activities. Um, the way this works is when a contractor knows they're going to excavate, um, they call a regional nonprofit called the Underground Service Alert, um, or USA North. It covers Northern California and Nevada, um, and lets them know they want to um, dig somewhere. Um, that nonprofit um, reaches out to utility operators um, to, within, the, within the, the vicinity and lets them know there's going to be a project and asks them to check if any of their lines will be impacted. Um, they, it's called gen they generate a ticket, and then we, um, as the utility opera would be, operator, would be expected to parse those tickets and then go out and locate and mark any of our lines um, if they're in the vicinity. And so we're today here asking to your for your support in onboarding a consultant to help um, do that. And that consultant would um, both triage the USA North tickets as they come in and then locate and mark when necessary. Um, we've broken this contract into um, several scope items. Um, task one is just basic project management um, um, of, the, of the contract. Um, task two um, is for the consultant to develop what we're calling a program implementation plan or a PIP um, to help us um, sort of identify all the steps that are needed to sort of get our program up and running. 
Task three is running the program itself. That's probably the bulk of the contract, and that's um, triaging the 811 tickets or the USA North tickets and, um, and going out and mapping when needed. And then task four is, you know, an optional task we've included if there's sufficient, if there's funding left over, if there's extra funding in the budget to where we could assign this consultant to go out and sort of preemptively map areas so we can get a better understanding of where um, our existing subsurface utilities are so to improve our, our internal asset management. Um, um, so in terms of calendaring, we're, we're here today asking your permission to release the RFP. And we hope to have a contract, a consultant onboarded um, sometime this fall. And that concludes my presentation. And once again, I just want to thank all of you for listening today. I'm joined by Elizabeth, who's happy to help answer any questions. Um, but we're asking for your, you know, your your support in releasing this RFP to onboard a consultant to help get this program up and running. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Commissioners, can I have a motion? I so move. Is there a second? Thank you. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Corey, do we have anyone on the phone? At this time, there is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Harrington? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Paul for that report. It's very, very comprehensive. A couple questions for you. Uh, this is not a new requirement. How is it being done now? Yeah, we've been sending engineers uh, out on a case-by-case -case basis to help support these requests as they trickle in. But the hope is that we can sort of um, kind of institutionalize and formalize this program. I think there was a push kind of earlier on pre-COVID, but COVID kind of derailed that. And so we're here today trying to get our ducks in a row and get, get the program up and running. Thank you. The other question is, this is not just a port issue, the PUC, a variety of different parts of the city do very, very similar or identical things. Has there ever been a thought to try to consolidate this or to try to work with those other agencies to make sure we get a, a citywide contract or something that where you get some kind of you know, benefits of doing it that way? Yes, actually we looked into this quite extensively. Um, we looked into partnering with the PUC and reached out to them and heard pretty clearly from all three silos of the PUC. Um, the way they do it is they're each silo does its own program, own mapping and locating. And they, we heard pretty clearly that they weren't interested in partnering, both from a capacity standpoint and from a liability standpoint. There was concern of relying on maps that they didn't produce. Um, and there's other complicating factors as well, but we, we did research it. Thanks very much. Thank you. Commissioner Lee? I really have no questions. I mean, it's important that we map these things out ourselves. And what I hate is when we do construction projects and then they fix it and then they pave over it and then suddenly another department comes in and then and digs up the, the space again, which is kind of ridiculous. So, you know, I, I think this is a good thing to have, so I support this. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you, Paul, for the report. I support the item and have no questions. Thank you, Paul. Great presentation and commissioners, great questions. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2331 is adopted. Jenica, next item, please. Item 9A is an informational presentation and update on the port's mobile vending program. 
And for callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Mike Martin, Assistant Port Director. Uh, happy to be here today to give you an update on the Port's mobile vending program and associated enforcement activities. Do I control this? Yes. Um, so the first several slides are going to be kind of a recap of how we got here um, over the past uh, three plus years. So at the end of 2019, uh, the state uh, legislature passed Senate Bill 946, which decriminalized street vending statewide and limited the ability of cities and counties to regulate street vending um, uh, to those situations where they've adopted a specific type of program that met the, the bill's uh, requirements. Um, that coincided uh, date-wise with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic in early 2020, and those two factors um, really led to a significant increase in mobile vending over the course of 2020. Um, we saw a high concentration of unpermitted vendors in Fisherman's Wharf, and really the Embarcadero was a place that everyone was trying to get outside and get activity, and so the vendors really saw that as their big entrepreneurial opportunity. Um, a number of the concerns raised here are the concerns that we're still seeing raised um, on the bulleted list on the slide. Um, but the additional challenge then was um, that the vendors weren't following health and safety protocols relating to COVID, and so we were worried about those sort of knock-on public health effects as well. Um, Port staff advocated um, to try to get some enforcement tools, um, and Supervisor Aaron Peskin um, brought forward a mobile vending ordinance that allowed, uh, that, that created uh, code upgrades that allowed the port to institute a pilot mobile vending program. So this was our ability to get in under the auspices of SB 946 and actually enforce um, permits um, and the time, place, and manner of vending on port property. Um, the important thing of this ordinance was that it created an ability for this commission and the executive director to put together regs about where on port property this could happen because we really wanted to strike the balance that the state law set out in its findings, which was we want to have these entrepreneurial opportunities, but we want to do it in a way that doesn't just, just take away the opportunities for other people to enjoy the natural resource and recreational benefits of the waterfront. So uh, upon the adoption of that ordinance, after that, we brought to you uh, a program structure. Uh, the Port Commission adopted um, its operational standard, standards and delegated authority to the executive director to issue more detailed program regulations, which the executive director did. And we instituted a program that set forth the ways to get a permit for, port, for vending on port property, establishing a schedule of fines for administrative citations to people who don't follow the rules, and then put together those rules for the time, place, and manner of vending by permit holders. A key tenet of the ports program is that we didn't want to assign vendors specific real estate on the waterfront. We wanted to be, uh, have more of a opportunity for all vendors to enjoy different locations so that no one vendor sort of won the lottery and got the space right in front of the high traffic area. Um, and so we did that. We set out a series of locations uh, sort of evenly spaced on the waterfront. And then for the ones that we observed were very high demand, uh, we instituted a lottery process. So those are the ones in Fisherman's Wharf as well as the ones close to here at, at the ferry building. The other locations are available on a first-come, first-served basis. Um, and we really thought that was a way to bring on a sort of a new sort of legal vending uh, uh, component to port, the port property. 
in further support of that the commission and the exact director allocated funds along with an ad back from the from supervisor peskin to retain the mission economic development agency to do vendor engagement and technical assistance so that we could get these unpermitted vendors into the permitted program and sort of fulfill hopefully those entrepreneurial activities or opportunities and what we saw as important in bringing on Meta was that a lot of the unpermitted vendors we found on Port Property were monolingual Spanish speakers. And we wanted to make sure that they did have that opportunity. And we feel Meta was an, was an integral part of making this kickoff work. Um, public workshops as well as one-on-one -on -one vendor assistance. And we had a significant component of vendors over 30 um, in the program from the outset. Um, we've increased to about uh, over 50 at this point. Um, Following uh, the adoption of the port program, I think we saw a, a little bit of improvement on the on this on the sort of the port waterfront in terms of unpermitted vending. Um, our enforcement was somewhat episodic, but I think there was enough people, enough of those vendors interested in getting into the program, that it really sort of uh, 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 lightened the challenge a little bit. At the same time, though, we saw a lot of vending, or the city saw a lot of vending happening elsewhere, and there was a push by the Board of Supervisors to regulate vending citywide. So in uh, 2022, the Board of Supervisors adopted a citywide vending program ordinance that established the Department of Public Works as the program manager for the city. Um, they, the, the Board of Supervisors very much wanted to set centralize permit issuance with Public Works. But port staff advocated for and, and received provisions that still retained the right to set time, place, and manner regulations with the port commission and the executive director. We felt, because as I described just now, public works moved towards a, a program that actually assigned locations, and we wanted to make sure we still had the ability for different vendors to experience different uh, entrepreneurial opportunities on the waterfront at different times. Um, public works. Uh, has instituted and begun uh, implementing the vending program elsewhere. Uh, primarily the mission has been where it's been seen most, uh, having most impact in terms of more vendors being permitted. Um, they also have an enforcement team that's uh, worked into action in the rest of the city. Um, they, we are still working with them on issuing new permits for vendors on port property because the system that they have that points to a specific location, they have to do some technical upgrades. And they also want to do similar technical assistance to what Meta did for our program in terms of getting our current permit holders into the citywide permit issuance regime so that they can come back and vend on port property. I'm sorry if that sounds somewhat of a, of a maze, but basically I wanted to describe all that because Port Public Works is looking for the resources to do that technical assistance and issue those permits in the new fiscal year starting next month. Um, in the meantime, we have grandfathered our permit holders because we did not want to have their permits expire with no way to actually operate uh, legally on port property. So thank you for coming with me on that journey as I tried to explain that. Our hope is by the end of this year, we will have a much more seamless interaction between our work and the work of public works. Uh, on to enforcement. Um, so I think we've learned quite a bit in the two years we've been able to enforce the ports program. Um, state law limits enforcement of these permit infractions to administrative citations. They've decriminalized it. Administrative citations are fines. Um, the state law also does not give us the authority to demand valid identification. So when we go, come on someone where we want to issue a citation, um, 
our experience was that that person would not give us valid information. We'd send the citation to them and we'd get it back turn, returned undeliverable. So we couldn't connect the infraction with the negative outcome that would deter the action. Um, so ultimately we realized that citations alone weren't gonna be the tool. Another thing we've learned is that alcohol and cannabis sales and vending on the, si on the sidewalk sort of takes root among the other food and merchandise vending, as I think has been commented by uh, commissioners in the past and that we've seen uh, as we've worked out on the waterfront and seen these activations happening. And that's obviously running directly counter to the clean, safe, and vibrant waterfront we want to foster as the port recovers and as the city recovers. The, the, the challenge there is those are absolutely criminal activities. And so there's a lot of coordination needed between port staff and law enforcement to get at those. And I'll talk a little bit more about how we're going to try to get at those. And then lastly, I think just in terms of the locations, it's, very, it's been very consistent to see um, a lot of vending on the Little Embarcadero and Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, at Alca Alcatraz Landing, it appears 31-33. And at Giants Games at Oracle Park. Those are sort of our hot spots. We're seeing more of it out in front of the ferry building, but I think that's episodic. We certainly saw a lot of it around the Juneteenth event as that, all that activity was happening. And so I think in the future, we'll think about how to enforce around that because we de definitely want to focus attention on the permitted special event and not the unpermitted vending that's happening around it. Um, what we've been doing, uh, we've executed a number of what we're calling deterrence operations. So realizing the citations aren't super effective, our new approach, uh, so the state law does allow you to direct someone to stop vending if they're doing it outside of the rules, and if they continue to act that way, you can confiscate their, their materials. So our deterrence operations are basically getting out, starting the day early with port staff, showing up to see if anything was left overnight to set up for the next day. If the person is there, we ask them to remove it. If not, we confiscate it. And then we have additional port staff coming in shifts over the day to be visible and encountering everybody, anybody that sets up for vending to make sure they have a permit and are authorized to be there. And if they're not, they're told they can't vend that day. Um, we still need, uh, we def generally need uh, PD support for that because obviously people that want to vend sometimes will get aggressive in asserting their right to do so. Um, and so it's a bit of a challenging scheduling exercise and coordination exercise. Generally, what we like to do when we do those large deployments is also to bring out other agencies that have enforcement jurisdiction, like the Department of Public Health as relates to food, um, uh, the F SFMTA as relates to traffic violations, as the uh, vehicles servicing the vendors often ignore traffic regulations, and then public work support in terms of the confiscations bringing trucks and laborers. Um, Ultimately, these have been successful for their moment. Um, generally, vending returns soon thereafter. Um, what we've been trying to do with these is to see where the vending goes also to try to plan what our next more targeted in, uh, in interventions are going to be. Um, let's see. Moving to the Giants games, um, a similar strategy has happened there. Um, they already have a lot of... Uh, um, enforcement resources allocated to games. And so there have been a couple of different multi-agency enforcements at Giants games over the past month that have had a decent amount of impact. In talking with our maintenance uh, division as well as property managers, we had been seeing sort of an ever-increasing radius of things happening. Um, people pulling over at Piers 3032 to sell out of the back of their car. I think there was some impactful confiscations and other ramifications of these uh, Giants uh, actions 
that I think that's lessened, um, but I think it's something we have to keep coming back to um, along with the help of everybody else and the Giants in coordinating that kind of deployment. And then lastly, I think we need a better partnership with law enforcement to address those criminal activities. So getting to the next slide, anticipated next steps, and I really apologize about how small the type is here. That was not my goal. Um, so uh, the State Alcohol Beverage Commission uh, staff was out for an enforcement um, three Fridays ago. Um, they did not encounter many alcohol vendors because I think the first ones they encountered spread the word. Um, but that was really important to us because ABC hadn't been back here in a while. And I think that is something that we, we need to bring all the assets we can on that issue. Um, we've also met with the district attorney's office to talk about how do you build cases because obviously a citation is one thing, but if someone gets arrested for repeatedly selling to a minor, that's a different level of deterrence. Um, we're also in the process of working with the uh, police department to adjust our work order. Right now we have two full-time officers during the week, and then we fill in uh, uh, later in the week and weekend shifts off of overtime that are more expensive, not always the same people, and not always filled. Um, and so we're moving, hopefully, and they're actually uh, moving to interviews on this, uh, to get a second pair of full-time officers. So we'd have half a week with one pair, half a week with the other pair in a platoon setup. So they'd have a more consistent relationship with the challenges that we meet here at, at the port, challenges that we don't meet Monday to Friday, challenges that come on the weekends in particular. Um, and another big, -ish, big step forward for us happened yesterday. We, had, we onboarded our new security manager, uh, Joe Riley, our former security manager, left for the Department of Emergency Management for a promotive opportunity. We were lucky to have uh, Kyle Thomas come on board, former SFPD Marine Unit officer, so he's very familiar with the port. Uh, I did not tell him I was going to do this, but he's here today, and so we're very happy to have him here today. Um, and so he's going to hit the ground running and help us do even better coordination moving forward with his former colleagues at PD. Um, we've uh, hired two retired SFPD officers on a part-time basis to coordinate just our mobile vending enforcement activities. They've been invaluable in bringing in the other agencies. Um, and they and I are very focused on evolving our strategy to address Alcatraz Landing and not just staying in Fisherman's Wharf, not that we're just staying in Fisherman's Wharf, but we want to, there's a different condition on that sidewalk as compared to the Little Embarcadero, and so I think we need different tactics. Um, including, I think, the motor vehicle aspect of that and how they resupply is something that we really want to get after. Um, we want to partner with Public Works to get that part of the operation going, as I described earlier. We want to continue to administer port program regulations and sort of be on the front foot about this. Um, one of the things we're really focused on, for example, is this Friday, the, uh, the first sort of soft launch activations from the CBD grant that you heard um, we're definitely looking at what are the strategies to make sure that is a success because what I'd love to see us build is around those special events, building our enforcements to radiate out from there, not just to keep that space clear, but to sort of have eyes on the park, so to speak, to push it further away. So in closing, you know, I, I don't think we're happy with the current state we're in. I think there's definitely levers to pull to get better. I would imagine we'll never fully get rid of unpermitted street vending because of how comprehensive the state law is. But if we can get alcohol and cannabis vending deterred, and if we can make sure there's a safe path of travel and people don't feel a little bit threatened or a little bit crowded from the waterfront, I think that's the end state we're looking for. So that's uh, our current update, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you.
Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none. Corey, anyone on the phone? At this time, there is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee? Yeah, I have a bunch of questions. How much is a fine? Uh, they start at $100, and then they each additional um, infraction goes up from there. And if you encounter an illegal vendor and um, you give them a citation, do you have them pack up? Do you actually stay there and then they have to pack up and leave? Or is it something that you have to catch them in the beginning of the process? The, yeah. the former. So you, you come up, you see them vending what we were doing, like our security manager would basically come up, write them up, mm -hmm. give them their copy of the ticket and say you have to pack up and go. And then you'd have to stand there and monitor them while they packed up very slowly. Okay. Hoping that he would leave. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I've had this experience when I was, you know, uh, on the com entertainment commission and, you know, there was a, a related, I mean, these are at night, you know, it's probably different from the port, but there was a related incident uh, a week ago, you know, with a shooting because public safety, when these people are buying hot dogs or whatever, they're getting robbed or fights occurring and we don't want that on the port. So um, I have a few things. So I know SFPD is short and there's a lot of overtime. I, I understand to some sources that the sheriff department might be uh, coming on board or, or maybe lobbying for, you know, being able to get some of this overtime. Have you heard anything about that? So the sheriffs have a program much like the, the SFPD program called 10B officers, where uh, off-duty officers can sort of work um, at sort of private direction. Uh, I understand the CBD is, as part of its uh, work for us under the grant, looking into that. I'm not aware that they've retained them, though. But you're right that manpower is a challenge. Um, some of our tenants I know have brought in 10B officers at different times, which is expensive, but they've seen varying levels of success with that. I think we're really more excited than that kind of opportunity with the, the port detail mm -hmm. um, that can really sort of lean in and understand better the networks that you're talking about in terms of you know, who's behind these different vendors. It's not just the vendors. There's clearly something else going on behind that. And so yeah. that's the kind of law enforcement support I think we need rather than someone that's coming in that day for that event. Right. Um, but we'll coordinate with whatever enforcement resources we have, for sure. The reason, reason why I say that is because, you know, uh, when we were removing them, mm -hmm. it takes them only five minutes to pack up, and then they have a van that they could put four of them in. And then once you go, about an hour later, somebody else shows up and unloads. You know, and so it's, it's kind of a, an endless situation. So um, d d does there an ordinance saying that they're not allowed to block the sidewalk? I'm sure that the DPW must have an ordinance mm -hmm. because I know in the uh, entertainment area, when we have our lines, you know, we have to have the pedestrians be able to walk by. Mm -hmm. And some of these vendors are blocking the streets and I would think that would be an infraction to help with uh, enforcement. Um, but how about, again, going back to uh, signage? Is there signage up there? And maybe that's bilingual saying, if you don't have a permit, you're going to get fined or you're going to get confiscated. Is there anything like that posted? There, there is that signage on the Little Embarcadero because that's how we based our confiscation and deterrence operations on that. So there is. Um, we can definitely expand that. 
um, as well. Uh, but definitely there is signage up and down the water, especially around where the, um, the permitted vendor locations, the stalls are. There's a number of signs we've had up there to try to indicate this is part of the program. Is it bilingual? Uh, the Little Embarcadero one was originally. I'm not sure. I think it got taken down. Um, so we may not have a bilingual. Yeah, I think it will help be helpful if you put them up and make them bilingual, mm -hmm. especially when, you know, we want them to get permits. And I, I read the ordinance, you know, saying that, yeah, some of the restrictions were, were lapsed, but um, they're supposed to still get a permit, right? Yes. So, but I, I bet you half of them don't even bother. And, right. and arguing with you saying that we have a right to be here seems to be the uh, course of action. Um, so, I mean, basically that's all I have. I wish they would have put in the, uh, in the bill that you couldn't be 100 feet in front of a, a licensed premise. You know, that would solve so much of this problem. Yes. You know, but that's not in the bill. Hopefully yes. some legislator will think that might be a good thing to amend, but it is what it is. We'll have to deal with it. Yes. So. And, and to your point about the path of travel, that is enforceable. Um, what we found, especially during the pandemic, is it's hard to do because if someone then just moves, right, you can't really stop them from doing the rest of the stuff because if your authority is based on just the path of travel, that's now been retained. But all of these things, we feel like the enforcement has to get at every little piece of this. Mm -hmm. And even if that's not the solution, in those situations, we still need to be able to go in there and, and enforce the path of travel so people can enjoy the oh, waterfront. Maybe as an extra ticket. So you get a ticket for that, and you got a ticket for blocking the sidewalk. Yeah. I mean, you know, I hate to ticket people, but some people just don't, don't want to listen. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's really bad for the permit holders. Yeah. And I feel sorry for them, you know, because they're... They're trying to do their best to comply, and these yep. people are all in front of them. They're illegal. It just bothers me. Yep. Sorry. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to make one comment. I've spoken with Sheriff Miyamoto, and we do not have plans to uh, deploy sheriffs. Um, the detail is our plan. Uh, so we have had that conversation, and there's no plan there. Okay. Um, and the other thing, Mike Martin was probably going to speak to it, is the sidewalks are regulated as a park in our park code. Uh, so we definitely have provisions for not blocking, and it must be clear to the public. We have very good provisions in our park code. It's getting all the resources out there and all the citations. Yeah, I, I, I mean, hundred dollars is cheap compared to how much they're making. They're charging ten dollars for a hot dog now. <laughs> Can you believe that? So, so they're making money, you know. Anyway, thank you. Good luck. Thank you, Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you, Mike, for this report, and I, I really appreciate it, and I really want to acknowledge how challenging this is. Um, I was just curious, are representatives from Meta here? Uh, no, we don't have any representatives from Meta. I'm sorry. Okay. And is the grant still ongoing with them, or did that sunset? Uh, our grant has sunsetted, okay. um, but we're very hopeful that they can work with Public Works as they move forward okay. on their piece of things. Yeah, I mean, I think th this is just more comments. You know, which, you know, I guess is more just for the public record. And I, and I think we need to acknowledge, particularly looking at it through an equity lens and why the state law was passed. Um, and as someone who lives near Little Embarcadero and the Alcatraz Landing area, um, the, these are not mom and pop small immigrant businesses who want to sell authentic food from their home countries and make a start in our society. And if they are, I think those are the 50 plus people that you spoke about who went through the program and worked with Meta or La Cucina or other organizations that help do this. I think we need to acknowledge 
this is just my observation, this is organized crime. These are people driving up and unloading people. Uh, I instinctually believe that, you know, that we have human trafficking going on in these businesses, and I've watched them, and I've watched their enforcers sit there um, and intimidate people and intimidate um, the um, volunteer patrols from SFPD who wear the blue jackets, who are former officers, and I've spoken to them, and they are utterly at their wit's end. And, and I do want to really, I say these things, A, for the public to understand how challenging it is for us to enforce and do anything. Um, this is one of the few items as a commissioner that I get contacted about, um, and particularly alcohol and cannabis sales. So I really am deploying SFPD, ABC, and other regulatory agencies that, um, to me, that should, you know, more than you know, the $10 hot dog, which I did not realize it was that expensive, or, or the schlocky knockoff Giants t-shirt, I actually think the much larger problem is the um, sale to minors of alcohol and cannabis. Um, and I will say occasionally, um, I've seen them in jars, uh, magic mushrooms. We, we need to stop the illicit sale of, of drugs and alcohol and cannabis that's happening at our waterfront and throughout San Francisco. And so I really hope with this new initiative that we can really we can really target that and I again as the signage maybe commissioner um, I would absolutely support large-scale signs that say we cannot validate this food you might get food poisoning or have your selling to minors is illegal or whatever we need to do because I, I just worry about how this will affect actually mostly tourism I think most San Franciscans are in the know um, if that you know they want to um, have a drink, they're going to go up to the Eagle Cafe, they're not going to buy like a margarita on the waterfront. But I, you know, I just worry about it hurting our reputation, reputationally, if there's something that happens with a minor, if someone gets really ill or sick. Um, and so I just wanted to just more make those comments both in empathy and saying whatever we can do. Um, I definitely am in favor of us helping those mom and pops businesses be successful through micro business programs in the city and county of San Francisco, but the illegal vending, is all, it's only going to get worse this summer. Um, I know we've seen a reprieve, but it, it's going to come back with a fury, and I just hope that we can mitigate our risk um, and our reputation to the public. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington? Wow. <laughs> I, I wasn't as aware of this issue, I guess. Um, the, the unpermitted vendors, I, I get that being a huge issue, and you know, but even the permitted vendors. I mean, what, just to be clear, again, I, I can I'm, I'm new, so I can ask stupid questions. But so we go out and we um, rent our space that we own to people who want to have restaurants, and we charge them a commission for that, and then we allow people that are permitted to put up something directly in, in competition with them for free. Is that kind of how it works? Yes. And is there any limit on the number of people that can be permitted? Or vendors that can be permitted? I imagine you could institute that as a rule in your program, but our program does not have a limit. So that's why we do sort of the rotating efforts so that we don't get 50. So we move them around, but they can all still be permitted. I don't think all of Right now, we've got more, per, more vending permits issued than spaces on port property. So if they all wanted to operate on a single day, I'm not sure they could do that. And if somebody comes late, they just don't? and they can't fit they it's first come first serve so they're out there very early um the friday saturday and sunday in fisher in three locations in fisherman's wharf and the ferry building you have a lottery spot that you need to get out to in the morning and if you're not there by i think one then it can be taken first come first served 
offhand, do you have, how many how many vendor spaces do we have? Um, I should have opened up on this. Uh, I want to say it's something on the order of, I think we have 11 locations port-wide, and I think there's two to three at each, so I'd imagine 35 to 40. And how many of the unpermitted vendors do you think are out there on any, on any given weekend? A bigger number than that. A bigger than that. Yeah, I mean, especially on a nice, a nice weekend now, to Commissioner Gilman's point. Um, you know, I was up at Fisherman's Wharf two weekends ago, and there was lots of people there. Lots of vendors there, excuse me. But, but to your point, the state law specifically says that, you know, a nearby rent-paying retail operation is not justification for right. keeping vending away. Like, that is very much baked into the state law. Oh, no, I, I understand it. it yeah. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I understand it. Um, so, yeah, good luck. If we can be of any assistance to help with that, let us know. <laughs> you, you already have it. Honestly, you already have it. It wasn't an easy thing for this commission to lean in and be the first one setting these rules because people on all sides would have a problem with it. So I think that continued support is what we're looking for. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Mike, for the report, and I echo Commissioner Harrington's thoughts. Good luck. <laughs> no, <laughs> no um, I, this has become a huge issue, and I, I just appreciate the fact that we're putting it on the forefront and we're really trying to combat it and come up with solutions to detour a lot of the illegal vending. And again, it's Port Wide, you know, it's, it's over by Mission Rock, by the Chase Arena, it's, it's all along the waterfront. So... Again, hopefully our resources are distributed evenly throughout the waterfront because it's everywhere. And it's something that we really have to uh, get a hold on somehow. And we're here to help however we can. Thank you very much. Thank you for your presentation. A lot of great information. Jenica, next item, please. Item 10A is an informational report on local business enterprise contracting activity for fiscal year July 1st, 2022 through March 31st, 2023, and workforce compliance. For callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Okay. Hello, commissioners. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Alexander Toot. I'm the Acting Contracts and Procurement Manager, and I'm here for an informational item to share about contracting in fiscal year 22 to 23, quarters one through three. I'll be covering two areas, contracting activity uh, for the first quarter, three quarters of the, uh, the fiscal year, including contracts awarded, payments, and developer agreements. And then I'll be sharing improvements in our contracting practices, especially as it relates to outreach, equity, and operations. This slide show, gives you a snapshot of the firms in the LBE program. They are current, there are currently 989 firms. The general mix of MBEs, minority-owned firms, WBEs, women-owned firms, and OBEs is pretty stable over time. The mix of MBE firms shows that 99 firms have African-American owners and 165 have Asian-American owners. You can see the further breakdown. The general trends in LBE availability, however, is mixed. At the end of fiscal year 21-22, we had 1,400. 41 um, LBEs, and there are currently 989. So there has been some de a decrease. 
This slide shows contracts entered in the first uh, three quarters of the fiscal year. There were six contracts total and five are subject to the LBE subconsulting requirements and bid discount uh, or rating bonus or otherwise known as the 14B requirements. Of the five contracts subject to the 14B requirements, all five were awarded to LBE primes uh, or joint ventures with an LBE partner. Of the LBE primes, one is a minority-owned firm another, and two are women-owned firms. Of the LBE joint ventures, both LBE partners are minority-owned firms. Each of these LBE primes and joint ventures were eligible and received the CMD rating bonus or bid discount. In addition to each eligible contract being led by an LBE or LBE joint venture partner, 68% of the total value of the contracts is committed to an LBE, either an LBE prime, joint venture partner, or an LBE, subcon uh, con LBE subcontractor. This slide shows payments. Port made almost $14.5 million in payments in the first three quarters of the fiscal year, with $6.4 million going to the LBEs overall. All areas of our contracting are doing well LBE participate with LBE participation. Our as-needed contracts are 40%, 46% of the, of the total value paid out went to LBEs. In construction, it's 41%, and professional services is at 14%. Slide six. This slide shows you the five-year trend of contracting dollars. The contracts award to LBEs remains very good. I included the ineligible source source contract in the contracting total here for the first quarter, or first three quarters of this fiscal year. The top chart shows contract awarded dollars are at 68%. The bottom chart shows payments to LBEs decreasing this year, but still in line with the five-year trend. If this trend continues at the one-year mark, we will come back with more analysis. Uh, private developments. The project at Pier 70 is at $62.7 million and Mission Rock is at $40.7 million awarded to LBEs. In total, $103.4 million has been awarded to LBEs with, with $35.9 million going to African-American-owned firms, $22.4 million going to Asian-American-owned firms, $31.3 million going to Latino-owned firms, and $33.4 million going to women-owned firms. Before you are seven strategies we have engaged in to change uh, solicitation documents for efficiency and equity. I'm not gonna cover all seven, but you're welcome to ask questions. I'm gonna focus on a few. One is earlier outreach at the commission action. We are publishing more look-aheads for contracts to, contracting to start to get the word out earlier about what the port intends to solicit. We are working, we had our our contracting open house, which advertised all of our upcoming solicitations and allowed firms to ask questions directly to our PMs. We are working with the Office of City Administrator to have all of our public contracting at the ports uh, uh, and, and our public contracting and private development advertised on a single website uh, that will link to our website and link also to the private development websites. Tiffany Tatum, who was not able to be here today, has done fantastic work with our divisions to create one-page project overviews for our, most of our anticipated solicitations. And we have continued to develop more, more robust outreach lists of ethnic chambers of commerce, professional groups, and continuing the practice of having opt-in forms for future uh, engagement. We are also partnering with CMD to perform outreach and, outreach and have them advise on some of our outreach tactics. 
Secondly, we continue to simplify and standardize the RFP responses. We use forms to capture information and require answers to specific questions about approach, technical experience, and oftentimes give a scenario question. We have put the focus on solicitations to uh, technical questions and not extra graphics, marketing, or designs unless that is relevant to the scope of work in the contract. We have heard exclusively positive feedback on these forms. The LBE proposers say this encourages their participation because it reduces the cost of proposing by thousands of dollars. Other LBE subconsultants have said they use the form already filled out as their main outreach tool to new primes in order to help streamline the process of getting on projects and have found that be to be successful. And finally, from panelists who volunteer their time to grade these proposals, they said this uh, approach is straightforward and easy to find the information and make sure that they're grading appropriately. Um, thirdly, we've already talked a lot about the benefits of pre-qualified pools. I just want to give you an overview of some of the pools we've created. The pool has expanded our use of pre-qualified pools to include engineering, environmental and planning, grant writing services, and coaching and organizational development. We are creating pathways for firms to qualify that streamline the process for entering contracts, both for the port and the firms. For both respondents and staff, this means more time working and less time proposing. And finally, first source hiring check-ins. The first source hiring is a potentially powerful program that connects San Franciscans to entry-level jobs in the professional services contracts. The port has scheduled regular check-ins with, um, with the first source hiring staff in order to maximize the opportunities and uh, connect our recruits, uh, their recruits with our, con um, our contractors. This concludes my presentation uh, on, the re on the contracting strategy and the fixes we are um, engaging in order to make more equitable contracting. And I welcome your questions and dialogues on my presentation. Thank you. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Corey. Do we have anyone on the line? At this time, there is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman? Um, I just want to thank you, Elizabeth, for your report. It's always so comprehensive, and I really appreciate everything we're moving to, to really model the importance of spending our dollars with um, LBEs um, and firms that are um, run and managed by people of color and women. So I have no actual questions, and thank you for your work on this. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Lee? Uh, no questions. Commissioner Harrington? Hi, again, thank you, and I do have a question. Absolutely. Um, on, on page six, yes. it, it looks like the amount of, of awards has the number and the amount have dropped quite a bit over, over time, mm -hmm. and you use the term eligible, and I'm trying to think of, is this the real contracting activity of the port, or are only certain types of contracts eligible for this kind of special consideration? Yes, and I will, um, so eligible means it's not like a sole, it's not a sole source. Okay. We don't do sole source, it's not a sole source that, some sole, some sole source contracts can have LBE subconsulting requirements, but most do not. So that would make it ineligible if it's federally funded, it would not be eligible for the local right. requirement. So th that, those are the things that make it, make the projects ineligible. Um, but we do, uh, for example, on page four, we do report out for, in the fiscal year, uh, you know, what was eligible and what was not eligible. So we only had one that was not eligible so far. And and just the, the level of activity, 
you know, in 2018, 19, we're saying 16 contracts for 40 million, and last year, 10 contracts for seven or eight million. What's the story, or is there a story there? You are going to see an incredible increase in the next report. Um, it was there has been staff turnover, um, and, so, and there was a flood of solicitations at the end of 2022, and we're just now getting into those contracts. And so you will see that number uh, match and probably increase for the previous years. Great, thank you. Absolutely, thank you for the question. Great questions, Commissioner Harrington. Alyssa, this is a great report, and you do so well at giving it. Thank you um, so it's, much. It's very easy to understand, and and um, the the staff, you and the staff, are doing remarkable work in, in working with our local business enterprises, and it shows. Thank and you. so I just want to congratulate all of you. Mm -hmm. really Thank you. That. Thank you. Jenica, next item, please. Item 11 is new business. On new business, I recorded two items, and they're both related to our economic recovery plan. One is to come back with the qualitative and quantitative metrics to the plan, and the other is to come back with a discussion about how the plan is reaching partners port-wide and making interventions port-wide. Is there any other new business? Good. I know we've applied for several grants around wayfinding and signage. Sorry to be a broken record. I'd love to get an informational report maybe before, um, you know, during maybe during the summer or by September at the latest, just where we are with that, particularly with all the cruise ships coming in. Um, I um, saw Royal Caribbean, I think it was Royal Caribbean was in this week. Um, so I would just love to understand that. Any other new business? I have a question though. Um, <laughs> not really new business. You know, the, the ferry building in the back here, have, have we always, considered splitting it like it has a kitchen if i remember right it has yeah the albatross back there <laughs> that you guys had for a long time there's a there is a kitchen that could be a great coffee shop especially during the uh, festivals and then you know it could be a great steakhouse upstairs but you know i'm sure there's some logistics but I'm, as because it's such a big piece of property you know i don't think we're going to be able to rent that thing for a while we will come back and speak to you about this facility okay, when just, we have our our, um, our process with the brokers completed. They're touring that space right now, yeah. and it's certainly very large, and it doesn't reflect the market of today. It is exactly. a bit of an albatross. It was built for the BART construction and never demolished, so it has oh. quite a history that you'll hear about when we come to you to speak of it. Okay. Well, I like that building. Oh, oh. Sure. Well, when you do that presentation, I... I and it just occurred to me, I would love to also understand a cost-benefit analysis about, because we own that property, correct? Absolutely. I'd love to understand a cost-benefits analysis about just demoing it. It, it might, I'm being honest, if, if it's, you know, depending on what the broker says, it, it could be an alternative. I just think we should be aware of that as, a, as an option. Any other questions or comments? No. Can I have a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? The meeting is adjourned at 5.09 p.m. Thank you, everyone.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.